0: Trust you all are doing well. Uh, take your Bible and open to Genesis chapter two. That's where we're going to start this more, or this evening. It's been a full day. It's uh, just been a rich day. Really, it's, or started early with uh, Daniel opening up the book of Galatians to us and walking us through justification by faith alone. And uh, what a fundamental doctrine that is to us as Protestant evangelicals. Interesting. We don't think about that very much, but The Reformation was built on Luther's back as Luther climbed the steps in Rome on his knees uh, saying his prayers for the hope that he would earn some merit. He continually was driven back to the fact that the just shall live by faith. And justification by faith as we know it and as it is articulated throughout our New Testaments was rescued during that time, brought back to us, and we're thankful for, for Daniel opening up galatians this morning and just unfolding that for us that was hard work throughout this week and if you weren't here for that uh, you can still thank him for his diligent labor in galatians with us then we spent time in matthew and i hope that was an encouraging time um i i don't know i i don't listen to myself very often it's too painful but uh i have a feeling that when i do i think i was yelling a lot so uh my voice was not yelling in uh the sense of yelling at you, I was excited with you about what was being said in Matthew chapter 5. I told David this morning, we were sitting in my office getting ready to pray, and I was. we talked about what it is that we're teaching and what we're studying. So he was telling me what he was doing, and I told him about Matthew 5, and I was reading him some stuff from my notes, and, and my voice was like shaking, and I said, this isn't good. Because there's so much adrenaline amped up inside of me for what we're going to study, and I'm so excited about this that usually when I can't talk in a controlled manner about something from the scriptures, that ends up being really loud in the end uh, the product the end product. So I hope that it was an encouragement. I hope that you weren't berated with the Bible this morning. I don't have any intention of being a Bible thumper. Um, I think that is a derogatory term, and I hope you don't thump your Bible at people. But uh, it's exciting to interact with our Lord Jesus and to see the standard laid out for us. uh, Perfectly clear. Tonight we're going to continue on. We're taking a little break here between 1st and 2nd Timothy. And if you're new with us, we're right in the middle of a study in the pastoral epistles. We're unfolding 1st and 2nd and Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. And we've finished 1st Timothy. We're taking a pause, just taking a deep breath here, and taking a quick look at what Scripture has to say to the family And in particular, what scripture has to say as it pertains to parenting and grandparenting. If we narrowed it down out of those two, particularly to parents, what does God's word have to say? And really, we could put all that God has said on a three-by-five card to parents. We went backward and said, before we jump into parenting, actually, David started this several weeks ago as he talked to you about our philosophy of ministry here for children. Then last week we took a step back, and before we jump into parenting, we need to say what exactly is God's ideal for parents? Who are they? Well, they're spouses. They are a husband and a wife before they are a dad and a mom. And so we want to take just a quick look, and we did last week take a quick look at the role of the husband and the requirements of God's Word for the husband, and now this week... Again, trotting where angels fear to go and uh, knowing that I I really could be stringing up my own noose, we're going to go and speak to the issue of wives from Scripture. What is it that God has created you for? What is his desire for your role? What does his word have to say to you, wives? And this is important. This is important for all of us. It's important for Men, for us to understand what God has intended for our families and to help in in focusing our families on the Word of God as its standard. It's helpful for you older wives who have been wives much longer than the younger to live out Titus 2 principles that you bring before younger wives the instruction of what God has intended for them. That's what Titus 2 commends you to. So it's important that you're not giving advice from your own wisdom but that you are first and foremost encouraging younger wives to be about what God has outlined for them and what he created them for as revealed in his word. Each wife was created to bring God glory by faithfully fulfilling his purpose for her life. I do not stand before you based on life experience, and and this should be general uh, information, Just in case you don't know, uh, I'll just lay it out there. I'm 27 years old, okay? I'm 27. There is no life experience to bring to you. Um, I don't want to point out how many of you are double my age, but there are a number of you. Many of you are my peers. I am not speaking to you with life experience wisdom, and really I trust that will never be the testimony of the teaching ministry at Grace Church. Because human experience leaves us far short of what God gives us in his word. If it is authoritative, if it is sufficient, then we must go here to find everything that we need for life and godliness, the Apostle Peter tells us. Okay? So, I'm not coming to you as a uh, seasoned wife. wives. Uh, I'm not even coming to you as a seasoned husband. I have a great wife. I have a wife who's committed to these principles, to pursuing these with her life. Uh, but I certainly am not coming to you out of a wealth of experiential wisdom. I am coming to you, though, with the perfect, inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. And so I trust that even as we begin this, and as my heart feels the weight of what I'm about to do, and as I look into these eyes of you wives, and I realize that I have no desire within me to in any way bring your wrath upon me, because I know that your wrath upon me will be played out against your husband. And I love your husbands, and I love you, and I don't want in any way to offend, I don't want to set the wrong standard, I just want us to go and see what God has said about the role of the wife. Because this is crucial, if the husband and the wife are relating to one another as God intended and if their roles are being fulfilled as he has revealed, then parenting starts to fall right into place. Attributes start to flow down. They start to filter out of the primary relationship of the family, which is the marriage relationship. The family is not to revolve around the children. The family is to revolve, that being the children, revolve around the marriage. And so it's crucial for us to come back to the first relationship, the primary relationship that God created. And this is his creation. This is his desire and form. Husbands and wives were created by God with unique roles and requirements. We looked last week at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go back there this evening. But Ephesians chapter 5 communicates to us that marriage and the marriage relationship is actually a life parable of the gospel. Right? As husbands love their wives self-sacrificially as Christ loves his church, and as wives submit to their husbands, their own husbands, as we'll look at tonight, and as that loving relationship that is humble and self, self-sacrificing self and others serving and Christ exalting is lived out, it is actually given as a life parable of what Christ has done for his church. So maybe you haven't thought about it, but your marriage is to reflect the gospel. It's to reflect the gospel in the roles that God has created for you. Husbands are to love and give themselves for their wives we talked about love and leadership not being dominance and selfishness, but to love and to lead through self-sacrifice. And in turn, wives are to fulfill their role in this life parable of marriage in loving and caring, supporting and submitting to their husbands. Husbands are to love. Biblically, these are the commands given. Husbands are to love. And interestingly enough, there is only one command given in your bible to wives There's one command and it is it is a buzzword of all buzzwords Men and women see I just skipped the command I just skipped I'm just delaying the inevitable okay Man men and women husbands and wives were created equally in Christ okay Galatians 3:28 says right out front there is no male there is no female Before Christ, you stand equal before God. Furthermore, as human beings, before your Creator, you stand as equally sinful, equally flawed, and equally guilty. There is no forgiveness through your husband. There is no forgiveness through your wife. You stand equally guilty before God, equally in need of Christ. And as He saves you, the church is made up of equally sinful people who have equally been saved by God's grace. All right so understand have I said the word equally enough in the last 30 seconds there there is a sense in which there is an equality to the marriage relationship and yet within that equality there are roles there are roles that are defined for us within the marriage relationship this is no different than the trinity itself and in fact the trinity is is referenced in relation to this God the father God the son and God the holy spirit are one they are perfectly equal and perfectly unified in every way and yet within the trinity there are roles the father stands as authority as the leader of the trinity as baffling as this is to our minds the son submitted himself to the father he constantly submits himself through his ministry in fact in the in the garden of gethsemane you remember that he says not my will but yours that is yet yeah, The attitude of submission of the Son to the Father and the Spirit comes under the direction of the Son and the Father and the Spirit operates in their absence, never apart from each other, never one over the other. There is no damage to their equality and yet their roles are unique. This is anything but popular. You know this in our culture. This is not the popular way to interact with Scripture, and I'm very well aware of that, and yet it seems to be the plain meaning of our Bibles. And if our Bibles are in fact the Word, then we must interact with the fact that the Scriptures only have one imperative verb for wives. There's only one command to be found. And that is word is submit and it's found in ephesians chapter 5 it's not all that's said about wives but it is the only command given for the specific role of the wife submission is a problem word for all of us okay we're all called to submit by the way there is no doubt about it your new testament reveals to you and we'll look at this that we are all called to submission there is a submission even within the body that is one to another We submit ourselves and we have a problem with submission because submission means that I have to put my own desires secondary to someone else's. That's just not in step with our sinful nature. So the remaining sin in us bucks instantly at the word submission and the concept of submission. Our hearts naturally are opposed to surrendering anything of our own will. Right, I mean, we deal with this on a consistent basis. In fact, all of us deal with this at different levels. Maybe you struggle with surrender of your will each and every time you close the car door and begin to drive. You drive right by the same signs I do. They have little numbers on them. You know what they say. And your heart rises up within you and you say, I don't want to submit. I don't care what Romans 13 says. I don't want to submit, I don't want to surrender my own will, they don't understand, I'm in a hurry, I'm in a hurry to go preach. So surely, that is a good enough reason. And our justification of our own lack of submission hits us, maybe it's some other aspect, maybe it's a rule at the airport and they ask you to stand behind a certain line. And you just find yourself just welled up with this desire to stand beyond that line. You just think, you know what, why are they telling me that I have to stand? What, what is different between that carpet and this carpet? There's nothing different. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not going to go in there and hurt anybody. I can st- Look, I'll stand with my toes on the line. All right? Sir, would you please step behind the line? We ask you to step behind the line. Everything inside of us starts getting angry and agitated. Why? Because submission is hard for us to deal with. Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, at our core, before Christ, not only are we against submission, we are, we are without capability to submit ourselves. We don't want to, and we won't. We sin at every opportunity. So I understand, as a blanket rule, that submission is an issue for all of us, and yet it is an important subject matter when we come to the role of wives. Now, I'm going to give you three biblical truths. These are just going to be a basic overview. We're going to start in Genesis, then we're going to go to Ephesians, and then we're going to come back to the Old Testament and finish in Proverbs 31, which should be Scripture Memory 101 for you wives. Just It's a great section of Scripture for you to meditate on. Three biblical truths. I trust that these are helpful to you and informational to you as well. Okay? Wives, number one, Genesis 2, really 18 all the way down through the end of the chapter. Wives were created to help man. Wives were created to help, if you just want to leave it at that. Secondly, wives are commanded to submit. And thirdly, wives are plentiful, but excellent wives are rare. All right, so first of all, wives were created to help man. And if you know a man or if you're married to one, this is no surprise to you, okay? Okay. When you read Genesis chapter 2, there's nothing in you that is confused about Adam's desperate need for a helper. And I would stand before you with life experience to say that, in fact, God's wisdom has found me out in granting me a helper that was much needed. Verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. He needs a companion. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Maybe you've grown up with meat helper and always wondered what that meant. Meat is just an old English word for fit or appropriate. Okay, so God says, I'll make an appropriate helper. I'll make a perfect fit for man. Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, verse 19 says, and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, I don't know if this infers to us that Adam was looking through the beasts of the field and the birds for a helper. But he wasn't finding anything. Okay? The sheepdog wasn't cutting it. He needed a helper that was fit for him as a human being. So the Lord, verse 21 the Lord God, Yahweh God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, woe man. No, I'm just kidding. Woman. Because she was, that's what I always thought when I was a kid. That's what I thought that meant. Um, Unfortunately, Hebrew language doesn't let it be that way. She shall be called woman because, why is she called that? Because she was taken out of man. The Hebrew word for woman, you may have a note, is man sounding, it has the end and the beginning of the word is both wrapped around. She came from man, out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Here's the result of this creation of a woman, a fit helper for Adam. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Okay, And this is the very first marriage relationship, and it is one that was created by none other than the creator God himself. So if we have issues with the order of, the marriage relationship, the responsibilities, the roles within the marriage relationship, let's be sure to understand that we have issues with God's created order for marriage. Ladies, you were created to be helpers to your husbands. Men need a helper. A man needed a suitable, a fit helper. In other words, man was incomplete without a wife. Maybe you've experienced this in my uh, whopping six years of married life. It has become overwhelmingly evident that I am in need. I am incomplete without my wife. Maybe you understand this. Socially, I'm inept without my wife. I feel like without my wife, I'm not all there. Like, I'm very awkward. I need my other half to be with me, to bounce off, to work with, not bounce physically, just to work with each other in the setting of, social relationships man needed a fit helper a completer a finisher and that is what the wife accomplishes in god's plan wives were created for this purpose to help man now let's get something clear here while woman was created to help man this does not mean that every activity of woman must be connected to her husband okay Let's not go crazy. Let's not move beyond what Scripture says. Not every activity of the woman will relate directly to her husband. In fact, we're going to come back to this in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. We find the, the wife being about many activities that are not directly related to helping her husband. This command does demand, though, a ceasing of any and all activities that would distract or cause neglect from the first and primary responsibility of the wife. Is that clear? Is that helpful? Say, so where do we stand on women in the workplace? Well, there's no issue there as long as this responsibility, this first and foremost primary responsibility and role is being fulfilled. So there are other activities that can be taken on. There are any number of other legitimate activities for the wife to be a part of, and yet this one must remain at the top of her priority list. She must be concerned to be a helper, a suitable and fit helper for her husband. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, wives, and I trust you are, and husbands, thinking along with them, there are some texts that are important for you to know about, and we just read one of them, Genesis 2:18 through 25, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, Ephesians 5, that was really fast, Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, Colossians 3, 18 is a parallel passage to that, Titus 2, 3 through 5, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. Ephesians 5 22 24, Colossians 3 18, Titus 2, 3 through 5, and then finally 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, which views submission as an evangelistic tool for the wife. Okay, so before we go any further, just understand that wives were created as helpers for men. That was God intended the God intended purpose. Unfortunately, because of the abuse of of some, in this particular area of ladies being helpers, that is somewhat chauvinistic sounding to even hear it. And yet that is exactly what God intended, and that's what Genesis 2 reveals to us. It wasn't that God created woman to be the slave to the man. Understand that it wasn't that God created woman to be a man. He created the woman to be a helper to her husband, to live out in independence and equality before him, a role that was underneath of the head of the home, the husband, in his created order. And that leads us really to the single command and the second truth from Scripture that we find for the role of the wife. And that's from Ephesians chapter 5. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands. Wives were created to help their husbands, And secondly, wives are commanded to submit to their husbands. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Actually, it's helpful for us just to give us a big picture of context. And it's always important when you study your Bible to make sure that you're not just looking at a particular paragraph in isolation or a verse or half of a verse. Because you'll get a very skewed perspective. So if you're reading through the book of Ephesians and you come through chapter 5, you're going to know that Paul is already dealing with submission. He's very much dealing with submission, but not in a marriage relationship. He's dealing with submission at the body-life level. And in fact, if we go back to verse 15, he says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is for the people at Ephesus, all of them. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't be under control of some substance, be under the control of the Spirit. How would that be seen in the life? Well, you'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. How else will it be recognized that you're living in the Spirit? in the body of christ well not only are you admonishing and addressing one another you are giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ so verse 19 gives you the first expression of the spirit-filled life which is addressing others the second expression is giving thanks always and then the third expression comes in verse 21 which is submitting to one another out of reverence for christ so the body is to represent mutual submission in its relationships i want to say, am I living a spirit-filled life within the local church? Well, are these the characteristics you see in your life? Do you see addressing others, giving thanks always, and submitting to one another out of reverence, putting yourself underneath of others for the sake of reverence for Christ? And now Paul moves seamlessly into verse 22, and he says, and as it relates to the family, not just as it relates to the body of Christ, but in the family, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, we know from last week that. That is all that's spoken to wives, and then the rest of the chapter is spoken to husbands. And you can deduct from that what you think you need to deduct from that, but it would be appropriate for us to understand there's a whole lot more responsibility and a whole lot more time taken by the Apostle Paul to address husbands than there are wives. Wives, it's relatively simple within the relationship of what God intended. So let's look at this submission, this setting aside of our own desire, our own will, Respectful surrender of our desire and will to another who is placed in the role of leadership over us What does this look like in this passage? Well, first of all, who are you to submit to notice the careful wording of verse 22? If you're a bible underliner or circler, you might want to circle the word own wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord Crucial, this verse has so much in it. But first and foremost, understand that your submission within the role of marriage is really defined for you as for your own husband. You are not under my leadership in your home. Now, you have a relationship here where you have shepherds that provide the same leadership structure within the local church. But I do not stand responsible before God like your husband does for your family. Or any other man here within your relationships in the church. It is your own husbands that are to be your focus. It is your own husband that should be your highest priority. I don't know about you, and it's hard to make illustrations from a personal level when we're talking about wives. But growing up in a home where my parents were my authority, and I was absolutely commanded by God to obey and submit myself entirely under my parents' authority. I remember specifically that my parents were always baffled when I would go into maybe a camp setting or I would go to a sports, a basketball camp, go away for a week. They would come and see me in this camp. And I was responsive. I was submissive. I was obedient. I was quick to do what my leaders were telling me to do. And I remember specifically one time my mom sitting me down and saying, I don't understand why you have such an issue with submission to us when you are so submissive to the people that you don't even know. What is the deal? I think that there is a direct connection. It is more difficult to be submissive, wives, to the one that God has given you as your husband. Why? Because you know him. And it's hard to deal with who we are, we husbands. And yet the command is very specific wives, submit. But don't submit to everyone else's husband, you submit to your own husband. How? What's the description of how you're to submit as to the Lord? As to the Lord is the conclusion of verse 22, and this has been abused, folks. Husbands, this does not give you the place to have your wife call you Lord, all right? Lord Adam, may I now bring you your iced tea. This is wonderful. No, that is absolutely not what is being said here. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, that is, with a heart towards God himself. So your, your act of submission, your submitting of your own will, wives, is an act of worship directed not just to your own husband, but beyond that, to your Lord. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 really communicates that your submission, even under an unbelieving husband, is an opportunity for you to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, into your marriage relationship. So the who is specific. The how is it's an act towards the Lord. It's obedience to Him first. And your submission. It's a spiritual matter. God is the primary benefactor in your submission to your husband. Your husband is not to be submitted to like God. Okay? He is not the God of your house. He is your husband. And he is under God. He must submit himself under God's rulership. You are to submit yourself and your role under Him. Furthermore, verse 24 says, makes it all the more comprehensive. So also, just like the church submits itself to Christ, its head, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I only wish that I had some Greek knowledge that would help us with the word everything. But in fact, everything stands as what it means. Now, we know from Scripture that in submission, whether it be within a governmental sense, whether it be within the local assembly, whether it be within your family, your relationships in your home, that everything always falls under the blanket of Scripture. Therefore, everything sets aside a husband demanding what God forbids clearly for you to be a part of, and it sets aside a husband encouraging you to be a part of something that you could never be a part of. So restricting you from what you must be a part of, what you must be active in, or constraining you to be a part of activities that you are strictly forbidden from Scripture to be a part of. Everything else falls underneath of this command that wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It is a comprehensive submission. Okay? There aren't areas of your life, legitimately, that you're just allowed to keep for yourself. And those are off-limits to your husband. He doesn't touch this area of my life. It's one flesh. Leaving and cleaving, becoming one flesh. And within the one flesh relationship, there are roles. And the role of the wife is to submit, while the role of the husband is to lovingly lead. Why? Why? Well, verse 23 and 24 say that in God's created order, the husband is the head of the wife. You say, well, that must not mean what I think it means. Well, it describes that relationship, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Christ is the head of his church. He gives direction. He is the leader of his church. He lovingly sacrificed himself for his church. And that is the husband's role within the, the marriage relationship. Therefore, the why of submission, why do I do this? It's because God has created my husband as the head of this family. Submission is broader than just the family, and I hope you're getting that. In fact, in Scripture we find other definitions for submission. Believer, All believers are to submit to civil authorities, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. All believers are to submit to the church leadership, Hebrews thirteen seven. All believers are to submit to one another, what we just read in Ephesians five twenty one. Younger men are to submit to older men within the assembly, 1 Peter 5, 5. The church is to submit to Christ, Ephesians five twenty four. Christ submitted himself to Joseph and Mary, his parents. Christ, the Son, submits to the Father, in John 5, 1 Corinthians 11. So submission is not just a derogatory, laborious job for the wife. It is the perfect plan of God for the marriage relationship. And it will be met with the highest joy if it is done by faith as an act of obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now just as a final note before we move beyond this, submission is not silent and mindless following, right? The wife's role is not that she is to close her mouth, go into the corner, and do whatever she's told to do. These commands are for the body. We see in 21 that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, the body life of the church is never to have everybody just sitting and waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. It's not a mindless activity. It is an act of the will and an act of obedience as unto the Lord, to set aside my own desire and will towards the life of someone and desire and will of someone else within the body, so far as it does not in any way contradict with what is required of me in Scripture. And so it is with the marriage relationship. Wives, as an act of obedience to your Lord, you are to submit to your husband's. This is hard truth. It's hard truth because husbands are sinful people. It's hard truth because leaders tend to take advantage of their leadership and their sinfulness. It's hard truth because of the culture in which you live where feminism is at an all-time high and the message of your culture is that women were created to be men and that equality must mean that there are no roles That is the presupposition of your culture. I hope you understand that, that equality, and when we profess equality, we are equal. There is nothing better about a man than a woman. We are equal before God. The feminist movement in your culture would say that equality could only be seen if there is no distinction in roles whatsoever. And that just flies in the face of what our scriptures reveal to us. And so it brings us to the place where, again, we're forced into a countercultural understanding. We are countercultural. We are anti our culture. We are set aside. We are odd. We are different. And yet this seems to be the clear teaching of God's word. Third truth is that wives are plentiful. There's tons of wives out there, but excellent wives are extremely rare. Wives are plentiful. They're a dime a dozen, but excellent wives are extremely rare. We find this in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, all the way through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read this to you, and then I just want to point out some key characteristics that we find here from Proverbs 31 about the excellent wife. This is what his mother taught him, King Lemuel. This is what his mother taught him. An excellent wife who can find, verse ten of Proverbs thirty-one. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with the with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her handmaids. She's a good employer of her employees. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She is a steward of resources. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff. And her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised." Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Wives are plentiful, but excellent wives are extremely rare. What are just a few of the things that we find from these verses? Excellent wives are trustworthy. Excellent wives are providers for their homes. Excellent wives are workers with kindness. Excellent wives are industrious and creative. Excellent wives are disciplined in their time. Excellent wives are compassionate and charitable towards those in need. Excellent wives are well-groomed. They are attractive. Excellent wives are wise instructors of others. Excellent wives are appreciated and honored by their families, their husbands, and their children. And excellent wives are marked out at the very end of this chapter as those who fear god what is the key mark of the wife that god is blessing that wife is one who knows god for who he is and fears him fear biblically results in obedience in the life of this believing wife this chapter also concludes by telling us some things that the excellent wife isn't she is not marked by charm and she is not marked by physical beauty Your culture, our culture, the message of the world around us is the opposite of what we find from Scripture. The excellent wife is the most charming, the most successful, the most outgoing woman that you can find. The excellent wife is the most physically beautiful woman that you can find. Charm and beauty, those are the highest standards. Oh, Fear of the Lord, discipline, provision for her home. Those things are very secondary. She's really good looking, and I like hanging out with her. Done deal. And yet Proverbs 31 says, wives are plentiful. There are a lot of charming, beautiful women who will be wives, and yet the excellent wife is extremely rare. So I want to challenge you wives in conclusion. God's design is perfect for you. It must be seen as the ultimate honor, and glory to live within his plan. I think part of the the struggle for us is that ladies who live out the plan that God has given them for their, their life within their family relationship are never honored within our society. They are not held up as models. In fact, I was talking with Dave Jackson several weeks ago when George and Dave's mom had passed away and we were talking about the service coming up and I just made a reference to Dave in passing that ladies like Claire Jackson, they're never recognized for who they are. Seventy plus years of faithfully living out the excellent wife's life. Not just living it out as some moral will and some grit to the end to be faithful, but living it out as an act of worship before the God who had saved her through Christ. We need to get our minds renewed Romans 12:1 and 2. All of us about what it is that we should be praying for in our sisters in Christ as wives. What you older ladies should be encouraging younger ladies to be as wives. Let our minds be renewed by scripture. Let our minds be renewed by scriptural truth that outlines for us the plan that God has and the roles that he has created so that we might bring glory and honor to him by showing his value Through our lives, God's design is clear, a complementary one with equality in essence and submission in role. The issues of wives and submission to their husbands is really an issue of wives and their submission to God's Word. So we've dealt with the husband, we've touched on the wife, and as we conclude tonight, we're looking forward to next week bringing those two relationships together and looking at the relationship of the husband and the wife as they parent their children. These are God's ideals. Is this always the way it's going to be? Is there exception to these rules? Absolutely. But the ideal that God has set forth is that a husband and a wife would first be a husband and wife, and then would turn to parenting little lives. So we're going to look at that next week, and I trust it will be applicable for each and every one of you.